Perfect, thank you. How's everyone doing this morning? So good. So this segment is really meant to be fun. It's Father's Day, we're celebrating, um, but we're also gonna get into some um, great questions, hard yeah. questions. So uh, some of you sent questions in over the last week or so through social media. I'm gonna try my best to answer as many as possible with these guys today. I'm gonna tell you right now, we're not going to get to all of them. Um, I think we all know Pastor Jason's speaking style. It just took four minutes yeah. to introduce us. <laughs> and um, so I would encourage you that if you weren't here at first service this morning, get online, watch it. There was something for you in that service, there's something for you in this service, and there's something for you in the next service. Um, additionally, what we're gonna do is we're actually gonna be taking questions live during service. So any of you are brave enough to send in a question, I'll do my best to filter it and um, apply it and ask these, our pastors while we're sitting up here today. So you can text the number that's up on the screen. I'll get that here, um, it is anonymous, so you can ask whatever you want. Um, so you we're gonna go- answer it, but you can ask. I know, you can ask. But um, I just wanna know, uh, when our pastors are up here talking about this, they're not just speaking from a season of marriage. That happens to be the season that they're in right now. Um, but they've been single. They've been raised in homes with young parents. They've been raised in divorced homes. And so they're speaking from lots of different life experience. And I think it's just really important to recognize that, that um, look at it for the whole big picture, not just for the season of life that they're in right now. So I hope that you guys get something out of it today. So let's get started. So we're gonna start um, with a question that I think hits across the board in all season, relational seasons. So let's talk about being equally yoked. Um, so how do you advise a friend who is struggling in their marriage because their partner is not equally yoked? Yeah. Ladies first. Okay. Um, well, first Peter, Three, we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, but it has this idea and this picture of truly it's talking to very likely women who have been saved and now go to church and their men are at home and they don't believe in Jesus. So Peter addresses these women and says to them, in the same way, wives, submit to your husbands, to your own, to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, meaning they don't know the word, and or disobey it. They may be won over without a word by the way that you live your life. When they observe your pure, reverent lives, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And I think we look at that and we're like, why can't I like dye my hair? That's not really what Peter's talking about. Peter is saying that the greatest gift inside of you for bringing your husband to the Lord is to literally like be still, be peaceful, be a quiet and reverent spirit. Don't be argumentative. Don't be hateful. Don't be quarrelsome. Like what he actually, like the Bible tells all of us that too. So just so you know, you don't get out just because you're not, you know, the other half that knows Jesus. So the reality is there's this beautiful thing about um, if you're married and you are unequally yoked, the reality is God doesn't call you out of that marriage, okay? He calls you to live a life that is still honoring of him first and foremost and submissive in the way that my life demonstrates Jesus. Not what I say. I don't have to like perform a certain way. I don't have to look a certain way. My life demonstrates Jesus in my words, in my actions, yeah. so. 
I think that's great. That's a great way to look at it. And this is this is a hard question because it speaks to other issues, which is um, the reason that this can take place sometimes is because a couple wasn't focused on Jesus at the beginning of their relationship, and then that reality comes into play later on. So it makes it a dynamic um, that becomes difficult. So like Erica was just saying right there, it's not a re- like divorce is not the option in that sense. It creates a tension in the marriage though, for sure. But we've seen beautiful stories of couples that have um, progressed in their relationship with Jesus as one or the other gave their life to Jesus, but the other one didn't. And then there was this journey, this process that it's through prayer, it's through worship, it's through what Erica's talking about, especially in this case with women, living a life in such a way that radiates the goodness and the glory of God every single day. And so I think that's where the peace comes into play on that. Okay, so let's go a little bit farther into this one here. How do you know if you're equally yoked? Well, we talked, so we talked, let me jump in. So... (laughs) I know, I was saying, um, so we talked about this in the first service, this whole equally yoked issue. Um, Let me say this as a statement to preference my next few statements. Um, It's possible that you are unequally yoked with another believer. So what has happened in, in church, especially over the past 20 years, is we've been taught these things where we've, for those of you who've heard this term unequally yoked, it gets passed around a lot, is it's been designated as somebody who believes in Jesus and then somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. And that's how it's been positioned. But that's actually, that's one application, but that's actually more of a faith statement issue. That's a faith issue before it's unequally yoked. Being yoked up, the imagery that we have in the Bible is, is two oxen being together. It's possible that you have two people who have the same faith adherence, but don't have the same journey in Jesus. They are unequally yoked. They can't carry things together, if that makes sense. So Eric and I are equally yoked because we are chasing the same journey. We're on the same path. Regardless if we're both pastors or not, that's not the issue. The illustration that we used in the first service is what, like, maybe you feel that God has you moving into missions and you're supposed to go serve in Africa for multiple years or South America or over in Europe somewhere and your your husband or this this guy that you're dating feels like they're supposed to be a lawyer in New not York. Not yet your husband. Not yet your husband. Way. Yeah, not yet your husband. And he's supposed to be in New York doing this thing. Well, unequally yoked means all of a sudden you drop everything that you believe God's leading into so that you can just be in this relationship. He could be a believer, but he's supposed to go to New York and be a lawyer and you're supposed to be in Africa. So you're unequally yoked. You see what I'm saying? Where there's a faith statement issue, especially in singleness, that relationship shouldn't even move forward. It's gonna get quiet in this service, right? So. Um, we're coming in hot with, with this stuff. If there's not a faith statement that's the same, we shouldn't even be talking about the relationship before we're even yoked together, right. if, if that makes sense. So how do you know? Well, it can be a faith issue, but, um, but for sure, like say if you're in a dating relationship or in a marriage relationship, it's really easy to see where our paths are being pulled apart from each other in that way. Once again, if you're married and this issue is taking place, it is not, you do not get to divorce. That's not a reason for divorce. And so we've gotta be careful with this reality. That's why how we do relationships in the beginning when we're single, dating, engaged, is very, very important because this brings tension into the relationship. All right, so this is a great segue. So there's a a common theme in this next set of questions um, that's basically how do you navigate uh, a relational reality in which there are fundamental differences either in um, your religious views, your political views, um, and and or um, how do you navigate the cross-cultural relationships in general? 
That's a loaded question. If you're not married, you break up. That's how you navigate that. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I listen, and frankly, the reason you're having a problem breaking up is because you've tied yourself together in other ways you weren't meant to before you were married, um, which we'll get into later, but. That section's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just true. Like, there's just this reality, and you know, Jason, and my, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago or three weeks, four weeks, I don't know, time blurs together, but said, you know, like, Erica has a whole list of questions she tells girls before they even, like, when they start dating. I'm like, I don't have a whole list, I have one. Do they love Jesus the way you love Jesus? And if not, then there's no point in pursuing that moment because I have literally watched every single person who was pursuing Jesus fast and doing everything he had called them to do and living their life in just God-honoring ways, they became like the person behind them. That person did not come up to where they were. I have not seen that happen. So you have to be careful realizing that if they're in a different religion than you, they don't believe the same thing as you. They don't have the same statement of faith as you. If I mean, not to mention the complications that happen, that happens to provide to a married family who then has kids. Where do you raise your kids? What church do they go to? Is it in every other weekend church? They're like a, you know, custody battle in the churches of where the children go? So the reality is like, you just, if you just don't get there, it will be so much better for you if you just can say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't believe the same thing and I, I gotta run my race. It's, it's hard, but it's, I don't know. I, th I feel like it's freeing when you understand the boundaries of relationships, boundaries and like the lines you won't cross and the, the person you won't pay that close of attention to. And I, I don't mean this in friendships, obviously. I just mean this in dating relationships. It's freeing to be able to say, oh yeah, that's easy. Take off the box, that doesn't work, you know? And I think in the context of marriage, once again, because there's a progression, is that there's nuance to that. If we're, if we're married, like, we didn't do it necessarily right, so to speak, getting married, and now here we are, we're trying to pursue Jesus, and there's all of this, there's all this other baggage that's associated with it. That's where it does really get difficult. That's where tension in the marriage comes into play. And we've got to flesh that stuff out. We've got to work that stuff out. So that's why, like, one of the, like, there's such grand nuance to these questions, because we've got people who are married who are asking because their their relationship with Jesus is different now than it was 10 years ago versus like some of you singles who are asking this question in the room and we're like, do it right out the gate. Like, let's do it right now instead of having to work through untying stuff and figuring things out when we're married because when we're married and we didn't line things up that way, then there's so much more work that's involved with going backwards to move forwards. But divorce is not the option. Okay, I, I want to need to make sure that I go on record so that no one's like, Pastor Jason and Erica said, um, no, we didn't. Uh, this is where you need the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This is where you need sound guidance. This is where you need the work of God in situations and circumstances like that. But if you are a married couple uh, or a, a non-married couple, like you're dating right now, uh, I was telling a couple young guys that came up to me after the first service and they asked about this question. Yeah. They're like, not how far is too far, but how deep is too deep? Like, what questions should you ask right out the gate? And I was like, oh, all you, go, you go all of them, deep out the gate, all of them. right? Because here's, here's the fallacy in it. Here's what we do. We go, oh, like in our culture right now, oh, let's just stay light and fluffy. And then we, and then we get married and then we go deep and we realize we don't like each other. Yeah. Well, you could have figured that out right out the gate. Ask four questions go, yeah, we don't like each other. Or yeah, we're not, y'all see what I'm talking about? So go deep intellectually go deep and in asking the question, like right out the gate. 
And then you can progress into this other area because if you get this stuff out of the way, then we know like, hey, we're in the right place with each other. Now we can continue to move forward and actually start moving towards covenantal relationship. So, um, Pastor Erica, you mentioned the word boundaries, and there have been quite a few questions that have come in on the app, both uh, last service and this service. So, two-part question. One of you can answer each of them. Let's go. One of you. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, um, for singles in the house, what type of boundaries do you feel like are most helpful in helping you... um, honor the season of life to prepare you for the next? And then what boundaries have you put in place as a married couple in order to honor your marriage? Um, I mean, I'll go back to an answer that may or may not be asked in this service. So we're talking about divorce. If you've been divorced before and you want to get back into the dating field or you're single and you're trying to figure out like, is this person for me? All of that. Um, there's a few things that I think are helpful in, in de- deciding even if you're ready to be dating someone. So first of all, you need to assess, if you were maybe a divorcee, where things wrong, went wrong the first time. Where'd they go wrong? Yep. What needs to be repented of? What part did you play that needs to go, hey God, I did this wrong. I messed this relationship up. I need to repent. I need to ask forgiveness. Maybe you have to go back to your uh, ex-partner and say like, hey, I did this wrong. Um, And then secondly, you have to develop a biblical framework for your singleness. Biblical. Biblical. So this idea of biblical is a really, like our generation doesn't understand it. There is uh, statistics that show that very few of us in this room have a biblical worldview, that most of us have picked up many different worldviews um, and mixed them all together, like uh, frankly, like religions that have 500 million gods. Uh, you know, and we're just picking up all of these different ideas. And the reality is we have to develop a biblical worldview for singleness and become content in our singleness. And so if you're just like, when can I, when can I, I just can't wait to find that person. I can't wait. I can't wait. Like then you're going to, you're going to end up like getting in the wrong relationship. You're going to end up settling for something that was second best to what God could have had for you because you didn't become content in your singleness. And so I think there's an importance of developing biblical perspective of singleness, realizing that actually singleness is an honor and it is a unique gift. One that I would go back and do again, frankly. And I'm I'm not saying I, I know. I'm saying, I'm not saying I would become single again right now. I'm saying I would do it again and I would do it differently because I didn't realize that the gift of singleness is actually like this ability to have this, uh, uh, Peter Scazzaro talks about it in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Leadership, but this idea of like the breadth of the gospel you can share with people. It shows the breadth of God's love for us, that we can have these connections that are so far, so much further, whereas in marriage, your connections have to stay pretty tight here. And we can talk about that in the boundaries, but like we can't just like, invite anyone into our home and like commune with like 60 different people all the time. Like we have to like do life differently as a married person. So the gift of singleness or the gift of being able to say, God called me to Africa, I'm leaving tomorrow, is a gift. One that we should not take lightly and one that we should be asking God, how would you want me to use this season? Should it be temporary or permanent? Right? And that's another thing. Some people are literally called to permanent singleness. 
you know? And so I could dive into why that might be in different ways, but Paul says it himself. I wouldn't encourage you to get married again. And he says that in a verse two, even speaking to people who've been divorced, he talks about that. I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. Paul was single. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, since it's better to marry than burn with desire. <laughs> but you should get some self-control. If you are following Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life, then self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So that should be worked out with you, okay? The third thing I say is to lead, as you feel led to date, doing so with healthy boundaries in God-honoring ways. So the question you need to be asking, and I'm just kind of mixing us up, but we don't have that much time, so it's okay, uh, is like, you shouldn't be asking how far is too far. You should be asking God, how do I honor this relationship? How do I honor you in this relationship? And you'll know when you're not honoring him. You'll know what that boundary is supposed to be because you're seeking his face first and not sucking someone else's face. (laughs) That was actually really good. That was good, I didn't even plan that. (laughs) <laughs> You're done. You just want to let me talk. You just said hey. that. That's funny. And then again, the fourth thing, and goes back to what we talked about with unequally yoked, is do not date someone. This is a boundary issue. Don't date someone who's not running the same race as you, the same God-designed race as you. And so, like, if someone's running like a turtle and you're like a, you know, cheetah, probably not going to work out. You know, somebody's gonna have to slow down. I mean, the turtle's not gonna catch up with the cheetah, so you gotta bring it back a level. So I just would encourage those things. And then in that, that you pursue healthy boundaries, which was your original question. Um, That really, if we would just get that the biblical truths that are here that we've all read about for the last several weeks, and if you missed any of those sessions, go back and watch them on YouTube. If we would just get that the Bible is freedom. It is not enslavement. It is not fence posts that can't be broken down. It is literally like a a guide to how to live a free life. And the problem we get with the question of how far is too far is we want to live, we desire and, and, and are most comfortable with enslaved lives. Not that we would say that out loud, we wouldn't say it, but I'm putting those words in your mouth now that the reality is, is that we are most comfortable with lives that are us doing whatever we want. We feel that's most free, but it's actually most enslaving. So like kingdom of God is upside down kingdom, right? So. The word of God, if you follow the boundaries within the word of God, there is absolute freedom in that context because in that circle of boundaries, you have complete freedom all over here. You can go anywhere in these boundaries. It just doesn't look like the world's freedom. But we're not here for that, right? So. I mean, I think she answered for both of you. Yeah, she said <laughs> sucking face, so I'm, Suck your I'm face. still there. <laughs> All right, so let's jump to a, a little a deeper question. So um, is it okay for my boyfriend to masturbate if he's doing it to a picture of me and not watching porn? Deep. Welcome to church. <laughs> I'm going to have to talk to my daughter about that one later. Please don't remember that word. So... Here's where I'll answer the question with a very sharp answer, and then we'll dig deeper. You're comfortable being his porn star. And this is a big deal because this is the stuff. This this is the stuff that we're wrestling. It, Kate, I'm not going to pause here. If you if you came to church today, hoping that we're going to play nice with this stuff, you came to the wrong church. These are the ethical issues that we are dealing with in this culture today. 
okay? I could point you to five different books right now that if you were to read some of the stuff that we're getting ready to deal with as we head into the next decade, it would blow your mind. We will be having conversation in the next decade of our ministry, pastors preaching in this next decade, we will be having ethical conversations. What does the Bible say about sexual ethics and robotics and AI? We will have that conversation in church. So if you're, if, you're, if you're conservative to the point in your, like with your ears that you can't hear some of this stuff, this, these, next, this, these next 15 minutes are gonna rock your world because we have to talk about this stuff because it's not the, it's, we're not dealing with the same things we used to deal with. Like I remember like as a kid, like if you wanted to look at porn, you had to like pay somebody to go into an AMPM and get a magazine for you, right? But now we can hide underneath the radar and think that it's not an issue and not talk about it because everybody has privatized faith and issues now. What I can do on my phone and my computer is no, of no consequence to you. Yes, it is. It actually informs a lot of things that we do. So as a faith community, we have to have this conversation. So now back to the answer. There's a lot of, there's a lot of implications in this, in this question that, that uh, break my heart for one. First and foremost, you're not married, so he's got pictures of you that you're not gonna want him to have after you guys break up, which more than likely will happen. So that is not a whole good thing going on right there. Secondarily, the self-value that is potentially uh, created in this type of situation in this scenario shows that there's very low self-value on both of it. Second, like thirdly, these are the type of boundaries that we're talking about crossing because at the end of the day, uh, I wouldn't say that type of stuff, but the type of intimacy that is involved that we're talking about here is stuff that should be within the context of marriage at the end of the day. And so there, there's, a lot of different, there's a lot of different issues that are going on in that question right there. But we have to have a sexual ethic that has been prescribed to us by way of scripture. So scripture talks about this issue, this is word, fornication. And uh, it's a strong word. This is what fornication means. And we've agreed upon this within the context of church, within the ecclesia for the better part of 2000 plus years, theologically and doctrinally. There hasn't been a deviation from this, except now in our 21st century, where all of a sudden we've decided that the world's somehow smarter than what we've been given over the past 2000 years of theology and doctrine. And so we're prescribing to different sexual ethics by way of the world that we're in. But fornication is this idea. No one, a lot of people aren't gonna like this. It is anything sexual outside of marriage. But what about that? But what about that? But what about uh, anything? Anything. Because at the end of the day, the physicality of male-female sexually has been reserved for the celebration of a commitment. Covenantal marriage. So at the end of the day, she said this in the first service, call it making love, it's actually spiritual warfare. So when we, when we come together in union that way, we are celebrating a commitment and a decision that we've made in order to honor God for the rest of our lives, both personally and together corporately as a family. So sex is now a celebration. It's not just a physical engagement. What we've done is we've taken the beauty and the spirituality of this thing out of, of this issue because of what the world's teaching about a bunch of different things. But sex is worship at the end of the day. Now that may be a weird concept for some of us who are new to faith, but when we, when we engage in this area of our relationship, we are actually honoring God to the furthest degree possible with our bodies because they are reserved one for another. 
Can you talk just a little bit specifically about the spiritual implications of sex, um, specifically about soul ties? Yeah, 100%. Where's that, um, the scripture's on here. You got so it? So look up a few verses. Romans 12, 1, uh, which essentially says that your body is, um, when sacrificed to Jesus as, lo- as holy and pure, is true worship. So realizing that our body is true worship to God when we can when we can put down our flesh desires, right, which are pre-Jesus, okay? Because when you said yes to Jesus, you said no to your flesh, right? And I think we all mostly have to practice that every day, right? We're constantly putting down the flesh and the past and the old things, the old identities we've picked up, all the old yeses we've said, and having to now live a new life that's given to us in Christ that is spiritual, it is not flesh. Okay, so Romans 12, 1 talks about that. First uh, Corinthians 6, 12 through 20 talks about soul ties. And First Corinthians 7, 1 through 7 is an ethic of sexual immorality. And what does sexual immorality really mean in a biblical reality, okay? Because sexual immorality in the world, we, would, we basically are very, um, we don't have a lot left to sexual immorality in the world, frankly. And the way we're going, it won't be there at all soon. I mean, we're literally verging on talking about how pedophilia is a normal, like, identity. And I'm like, we are far, far away from a biblical truth with that reality. And so the, the truth is, is that we have to become, as Christ followers, people who are committed to discovering and knowing truth so that we can identify when we are hearing a lie. And, that, and I think like, so that doesn't answer your question. That's yeah, just so the more soul ties issue, First Corinthians ahead, 6, six twelve through 20 talks about, about how uh, Paul goes, so would you take your body and unite it with a prostitute? So he's using, the, he's using the terminology that talks about the uniting of, because we are one with Christ when we are united with Christ. So the idea of soul ties is what happens when we go around uniting ourselves sexually with as many people as possible. Because that was the original picture of marriage. Right. So if you have a low one. view of sexual ethic, then maybe you might think, oh, well, this isn't, this isn't really anything. There's not a big deal. I'm just going around being physical, right? But if you prescribe to a biblical worldview, which we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, we see the spiritual reality of our physicality very different than the world sees it. Y'all with me this morning? Some of you are still stunned we're talking about this stuff. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, but this is a really big deal because one of the greatest issues that we are facing in the church right now is not the devil. He's been defeated, but we all struggle with our flesh still, right? We still struggle with this area of our life. Most of the stuff that we're dealing with as a pastoral team that we're counseling people through, talking people through, uh, outsourcing them to other counselors and therapists, it's this issue. It's our sexual ethic. I kid you not. And so we're like, we've got to go, we've got to go head on at this issue because there's so many of us that are struggling in this area. And so we've got we've to rethink it. We've got to work through it. And guess what? The funny thing is, is if you study scripture, I dare you, just go, go read the Bible, okay? Go read the Bible. There's two things, two topics that the Bible's going to explicitly talk about more than almost any other subject, sex and sexuality and money. Those are the two areas that the Bible goes after because if, you, if you've noticed, those are the two areas that we struggle with the most. Our sexual ethic and what do we do with resource? And they mess with our heart. And they the mess most. with our heart. Yep, yeah. 100%. So great question. All right. 
Um, so let's go a little bit different direction then. So in the instance that a couple has decided to abstain before marriage, but now they're married and finding it difficult to find a rhythm in being intimate with each other, what have you found to be useful or helpful? That's an awesome in, question. In getting back into the rhythm of intimacy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of talking. So if you're not comfortable with it, you gotta just get comfortable, both of you. <laughs> and we went through that. Like at the beginning, I could totally talk about like, this is what's not working, this is what's working, this is not, like why, aren't, why don't you want me? Like we could talk, I could say things like that easily. He could not. And it was just because, well maybe just because I talk a lot more, I don't know, at home, I don't know. But like the reality was he was so uncomfortable with it. And until he could get comfortable with it, our conversations were so like almost offensive. Well, pause, because, pause, I was uncomfortable. <laughs> You were uncomfortable no, 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 this is good. talking about sex. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You're yeah. right. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm, what I'm saying is that I wanted to give backdrop because this is a part of the, this is an important part of the conversation. I came from a family background that didn't talk yeah. very openly about it. So that's where our, our family of origin issues come into play when yeah. we come into marriage. So it wasn't just because she likes talking about sex and I don't. Like it. It's only like a... Like, don't make me she, weird. <laughs> I just could, I could do it more comfortably than you could talk But she about came it. from a family that was a lot more open about, about those conversations. So which now we're trying to do in our household and our kids like, are you guys done talking about sex now? So um, now but, we're like, oh, maybe we've gone too far. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so that, I want to bring that to the context of this conversation because what you're about to say is great. Um, well, so the first year of marriage, it was really tricky because we went in with expectations, which I would say just leave those at the door. Like don't bring them into your marriage develop them within your marriage. Um, but uh, so I was like, what's going on? Well, something's wrong here. Like this isn't working. And then he was uncomfortable with it. So we've had to have many over the years, many, many conversations and we get more and more comfortable with it. We get less and less defensive because we realize that this is a, it is a moment of spiritual warfare. Like as we said, like the Bible talks about in, uh, let me look at it real quick. Where's that verse that we talked about earlier? Okay, we'll talk about it later. First uh, Corinthians 7, it talks about the idea of not withholding from each other for any long period of time in order to avoid temptation, right? And Paul goes on to say, I say this not as a concession and not as, or as a concession, not a command. So Paul is not saying like, hey, uh, your body, Erica, uh, Jason, you are mine and uh, Erica, I am yours kind of thing. He's saying like literally, like, yes, that's a part of it, but it is the connection of intimacy that allows us to keep away temptation. And so if it's not working, you gotta just be diligent about talking about it, communicating, asking questions, making sure it is pleasing for both of you, like, and it's enjoyable, and it's not a, com a command, it's a concession. Sex is not a reward. Sex is not a demand, and sex is best shared in mutual vulnerability. So here's the problem with all these relationships we're bringing in, going back to soul ties. I think about the idea that I maybe have tied myself to that person, that person, that person, that person. I literally cannot like break free from those ties. There's a spiritual element that you do not understand. That freedom comes in repentance. That freedom comes in cutting those ties. That freedom comes in understanding that we are deprived generation who, or depraved generation who desperately needs Jesus and that he can free us from all of those things. 
lives. But the reality is we have to recognize that all the fun we had when we were in college wasn't for nothing. Like it didn't just, it, was, it wasn't just fun, I'm sorry to tell you. There are ties that you are connected to that you have to cut. And cutting equals going to God, getting on your knees and saying, I'm so sorry, would you forgive me? It goes to going to your spouse and getting on your knees and saying, I'm sorry, forgive me. I didn't wait for you. I didn't save myself from you. And now you and I can't connect the way we're meant to because I have too many ties. And then secondarily in that, going back to like the porn issue, we went really hard about that in the first service. It's gonna be really hard to connect this way if what you're trying to connect to is an image in your head. Y'all see what I'm talking about? So this is one of the biggest issues that we're facing as we talk to people about their marriages right now. It's like, you're actually not trying to connect vulnerably with each other. You're trying to connect to her or uh, her, you're trying to connect to him by way of an image that's in your head or by way of something that you read in a book. A fantasy. A fantasy. So that's actually not vulnerability. That's not mutual submission. Or a previous relationship. Or a previous relationship. So we've got to understand that these things, this is a really big deal. So being able to come to each other and complete and vulnerable, like, listen, the parts work. They fit together. Like, (laughs) can we, can we be honest about this? They were, they were designed this way. Okay. So we have to realize that. So much of the lack of enjoyment actually doesn't come because there's an issue physically. The lack of enjoyment comes because there's an issue communicatively. We're not communicating about things. We're not talking, we're not serving each other outside of the bedroom. You wanna make the bedroom awesome, serve each other outside of the bedroom. This side's quiet, let's go over here. Y'all with me on this side of the room. So learning to serve each other in other places besides, so here's what's really interesting. And guys, we're really culpable in this sometimes. Like, listen, we just gotta be honest about this, is we wanna be served without serving. Now you must be talking about in the bedroom. Yeah, in the bedroom. And then we use, <laughs> and then we use this scripture, well, you're my wife, wifely duty. And it's like, no, 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 there's, there's an undergirding to that, which is mutual submission. Paul would tell us in Ephesians that our role as a husband is to love our wives the same way as Christ loved the church. That's a pretty big bar considering he died for it. You'll see what I'm talking about? So there's there's a very different way. So I, I know that I'm serving my wife well, not just when I take the garbage out, but when I am I am submitted in such a way that I'm dying to myself. When I'm dying to my flesh. So when I find myself in, in, in all of these other, like where my flesh is raging, I'm not actually dying to myself, so I'm not loving and serving her. Okay, so let's get a, a little bit farther into this question. Then. Yes. <laughs> one, one minute and 30 seconds. Yeah, so um, how then within the context of marriage do you define as a couple or biblically uh, what's, what's enough, what's the frequency, what should that look like within the context of Of marriage? sex? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, that's where you have to talk a lot. There, okay, but this is the thing. There's seasons where there, this is, everything is seasonal. So you have to constantly be having this conversation. When we first got married, that wasn't needing to be defined, right? Mm-mm. It was frequent enough, yeah. you know? But then you have a kid, and as a woman, your body changes, everything changes, and nothing is the same. The game is not the same. So 
you have to redefine like, hey, like the game this is, is a foot. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it really is a constant definition. <laughs> like, it is a constant defining of like, hey, this is what I need. And sometimes we've had to have conversations where it's like, in this season, I'm really stressed out at work, so I really need this more frequently because I'm struggling with, you know, I just need to release the pressure. Okay, that's just clear as day. There you go. The reality is we have to be having these conversations so that it, and then, and then also understanding that Pause. as a woman, okay, go. Um, like <laughs> as a woman, you may struggle sometimes with like, and, and this can happen too with men when you're trying to get pregnant. So this goes both ways, but where sex starts to feel like a duty, okay? And so you have to just be mindful of the fact that, yes, it is a duty sometimes. It's okay, but I'm sacrificing for you. I am submitting my body to you. I am, I am saying I love you, and I know that your need is this. So I'm going to meet you there, yeah. right? So, so that it doesn't feel like guilt and shame, right. like so that you don't, he doesn't feel weird, like she's just doing this because I told her I really enjoy it all the time. You know, verse, or he doesn't feel like uh, we're just doing this because we're trying to get pregnant. Like, it has to become a conversation piece that you're okay with just saying, hey, like, in this season, this would be helpful to me. In this season, actually, this would be, like, less helpful for me. So, like, let's meet in the middle. I just think the key is conversation. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah. And, and I want to go back to that, that issue of, like, stress and stuff like that. Um, this is actually a very real thing because um, we all have valves that need to be released. And if a valve is not released in the appropriate place, it will be released somewhere else, okay? So the management of that reality, being able to go, like in high stress moments, we've had this, we've had this conversation before, in high stress moments, uh, the act of making love is actually an affirming space to be in. For guys especially, it validates men at the end of the day. We're not just these horny guys that run around and need sex all the time. Okay, so can we please say this in church, guys? Like, I'm not trying to be crass, but I'm trying to use language that, that gets us all in the conversation. If we're too nice, then we can't get over the fence on this thing. Because I think that's the bad rap that dudes have got, is that we're just these, like, just like cavemen still. But the reality is that, that that's it's what's annoying about um, expectations and what the world says. Right. Because well, that's a world lie. Like, because women also enjoy sex. So that's, that's a lie of the world that then makes a woman feel like she can't, like, right. enjoy it without being like, I must be like a man. Like, what's wrong with me? Literally asking these questions. What's wrong with me that I would, like, want this? Right. You know, so yeah. it's a, we have to lay all that down and go back to a biblical worldview of sacrificial, right. mutual submission kind of love and just do our relationship. So like in that. marriage, especially where stress is reigning, and it's there. This is actually a beautiful conversation to be able to have because I can come to her and have had these conversations like, hey, we're, we're in a very high pressure, high stress time. So guys, we have a tendency if, we ha if we're married, this is one of the most beautiful places to be able to have a valve released that's God honoring versus finding yourself in other behaviors because you don't know how to talk about it. So her and I, we have a very open relationship in this space. We've gotten very comfortable when to say like, hey, this is a high pressure season, just so you know. And so she knows, she knows that, she pays attention to me. And even if it's not just, even if it's not making love, it's other ways of serving each other. To be able to say, hey, like, she, like I just wanna hold you for a second. Hey, let's just hug. She's done this to me before where like, and I get squirmy, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, ah, you're hugging me, you're holding on too long. And she'll like, look, like, look at me in the face. Let's connect. 
Let's kiss. Let's connect without having to make love. What's she doing? She's paying attention to the pressure that's on me and in me, and she's helping me uh, open valves appropriately. She's helping manage and steward my life and vice versa. Y'all with me? That is one of the most beautiful and intimate expressions that you can have in marriage. And we're talking this way because I believe that if we can get these things straight, especially within the four walls of the church, the beauty of the gospel will be so represented outside the four walls of the church. Come on, somebody. This is important stuff. And it's, and it's really interesting because the conversation moves in different spaces in these services. So we didn't actually talk about a lot of this stuff in the first service. We talked about other things. Um, and so you're going to have to just go back and watch all the services somehow. But um, I want to be very real, uh, real about this, this moment. Um, if you're sitting in this room today going, like, why are we talking about it this way? Why are you being so straightforward? Should we be saying this stuff in church? Um, I need to just say this, and I'm not being crass when I say this. This is the most important place that we could be talking about it. Right. There has been so much, there's been so much shame and guilt that has been placed on people because we haven't talked, we haven't talked appropriately about this stuff within the context of church. This is not a prudish conversation. This isn't a conservative conversation. This is a gospel conversation. And I, I really do think that married couples, we should be exemplifying the best interdependent relationships within this area that we can. So we model this for our kids. We model this for our, our teens. We model this for the, the singles and the young adults in the house today. Yeah. And it's where we can get this stuff straight that it's gonna change the game. And this is why the enemy is going after this stuff. Yeah. He's got a foothold in this area. We're trying to break it. Yeah. We're trying to put light on it. We're having real conversations about this stuff in the context of church because this is where there's so much bondage. There's so much shame in this area and where the enemy can keep us in shame. Come on. Where the enemy can keep us in shame. And we never truly find freedom. Are we perfect at this? No. We've been married for 18 years. Some of you have been married for 50, 60. We have those couples in here. You know what I love about this church is that we have multi-generational ministry happening in here. This isn't just a young people's church. This is a seasoned people, sages. We're 18 years in, here from us, but man, I could, there's so many other couples are in, in this room today that are more seasoned. They could talk to you about what it looks like when they're 40 years into marriage, 50 years into marriage. Helen, Helen and Ron, how long have you guys been married? 50 years right here? 60 back there. 50 years right here. We didn't do this. Hold on, let's, let's do this really quick. If you've been married 40 years or more, would you stand to your feet right now? 40 years or more, would you stand to your feet right now? Come on. Come on, somebody. Thirty years or more. Up, stay up. Thirty years or more. Stay. Thirty years or more. Stay up. Stand your feet. Thirty years or more. Come on. Come on. No, hold on, hold on. If you were if you were fifty and up, stand up. We're doing something here. If you were fifty and up, stand up. Okay. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Thirty more. Stand up. Twenty-five or more. Stand up. Twenty-five or more. Stand up. Come on. 
Y'all stay standing now. 20 years, 20 years or more, stand up. 20 years or more. 20 years or more, stand up. Yay! Come on. Okay, everybody stay standing. I want you to look at this. This is a beautiful picture of what the church should be. So I say this is not just a young people's church. We're talking about a lot of single stuff right now for sure. But you don't just take our word for it. They know more than we do. Parents, sages, Christ followers. We've got to get to the place where we stop looking to TikTok and Instagram to define our relationships. This is the media that you need. But oh no, let's, let's keep going back to the 22-year-old who has an opinion about it. Can we talk real in church, guys? I wanna applaud you, couples. I wanna honor you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. All of this stuff goes back to one place, goes back to the same place it always goes back to. And it's this right here. Is Jesus the Lord and savior of your life? Is he your leader? That's where healthy relationships start. It's in that place. So with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, we're gonna pray a prayer together today. Simple prayer, but a powerful one. It's the prayer of saying yes to Jesus. And if you would say, man, Jason, I I need to say yes to, I need to make him Lord of my life, leader of my life. Would you pray this prayer with us today? We're gonna do it all together so we don't leave anybody out. Come on, as loud as we can today, would you repeat this after me? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, and make me new. And I declare in this moment, I'm gonna follow after you all the days of my life. I'm today making you Lord and leader of my life. In Jesus.